everyone. Uh, welcome to the podcast. I'm here today with uh, Leopold uh, Eschenbrenner. Uh, Leopold, why don't you tell the audience a little about yourself, your background, and which, what it is you do? Yeah. Um, you know, originally, I did economics research, uh, worked on long-run economic growth, was worked with the Global Priorities Institute at Oxford, um, and then worked on um, basically doing a bunch of philanthropy in biosecurity and AI safety with the Future Fund and with sort of open philanthropy. And then recently have been um, spending my time trying to get people to be more ambitious on making things happen on AI alignment. Yeah. And so you're young too, right? You're just, you're out of, you're just out of college, aren't you? Um, I'm a couple of years out of college, but I graduated college at, at 19. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we met at the Emergent Ventures uh, conference a few years ago, and I was very mm-hmm. uh, impressed with your background. And then I see you now you're popping up and you're writing, you know, very interesting things on on AI. I didn't know actually uh, bef- about the uh, economic work. What, what have you done in economics exactly? Yeah, I mean, I actually I wrote a I wrote a paper on the relationship between long run economic growth and existential risk. Um, this is sort of just like econ theory. This is how this is how I met Tyler initially, actually, because um, he sort of found that paper online and thought it was cool. Um, and then did some more work after on kind of like, um, you know, like long run economic growth and, and stagnation and things related to that. Yeah. So the uh, let's yeah we can start we can, we can get to that stuff. That stuff's all interesting. Uh, let's start with the uh, the AI stuff. I, you had a um, article um, called "Nobody's on the Ball on AGI Alignment," and you know this I researching this topic and n- not a lot that's like surprising. It seems like a lot of people just sort of repeating a lot of the same arguments over and over again. Uh, what I really appreciated about your essay is it's a um, you know it's it's either you know there's all, all, all there's always either everyone's a doomer or they're you know don't worry about it. it and I feel like what's like what's even the point I mean I, you've seen these things with uh, with uh, Eliza who's going on all these podcasts and saying you're all dead you're all dead let's start more let's start mourning I mean it's really it's just not a uh, sort of uh, you know he's just sort of he's adopted sort of a prophet persona and is just telling us you know the sky is falling and then you have a lot of people who say it's no big deal and nothing's going to happen uh, but you do something else you say this is a problem. Um, and it can be solved with uh, with human in- ingenuity. So, can you talk about sort of did, is that how you saw it? Did you did you get frustrated sort of watching this debate and saying nobody was sort of occupying the space? Yeah, I mean, it's just you know, especially recently. I mean, it's been awesome to see sort of people paying attention. And you know, for a long time, it's felt like there's been the sort of only the sort of little bubble on SF in the Bay Area now with ChatGPT. You know, all the online discourses about it. But you know, all, there's sort of like so much online discourse about it and so much fretting. And you'd sort of think, oh, well, you know. Anyway, people don't actually have it covered, basically. Like people talk about a lot about it, but not that many people are actually working on the problem. And I, I'm I'm sort of like my take on this, I think it's a very real problem, but there's sort of a little bit too much kind of like less strong word selling. I'm kind of like we need a little bit more sort of like shape rotating, actually looking at the problem. And you know, that that sort of also kind of reflected my my journey on the issue. Whereas uh, you know, for for a while or at the beginning, I was kind of stuck in these you know, sort of philosophical arguments with people. Like, you know, I don't know, you had one on, like, you know, with Hanson on your podcast where you'd kind of go back and forth and you'd be like, oh, but, you know, companies wouldn't deploy on safe systems and you, you have all these sort of metaphors and whatever. Um, and the thing that sort of just like kind of made it visceral to me was like, I'm going to look at the research work that is happening. You know, I'm going to like look at these systems and look at the work in alignment. Um, and then when I, when I was doing that, I was like, oh my God, this sucks. You know, it's like, it's just like, there's barely anybody working on it. It's like literally like, you know, you could have like, Basically, I kind of like you can just kind of talk to the few dozen people who are actually kind of good on the issue. I mean, that's maybe even overstating it, you know. Um, and then, you know, the work very much, you know, if we continue sort of on that pace, which I very much hope we don't, and I think I think we won't. But if we sort of didn't sort of get our act together more, I'm like, wow, we're really not on track to actually sort of do do the alignment, you know. Um, and um, but yeah, but also looking at it, I, I just think 
I think we could be much more ambitious. I think there's sort of, you know, we can talk a bit about sort of technical things you could do or what the problem even is. Um, but I'm sort of like, uh, yeah, let's actually try to solve the problem, you know? Um, yeah. And you give numbers on how many people are actually working on uh, AG, uh, AGI alignment, right? And it's, it's yeah. not me. No, no. I mean, there's there's a survey that's kind of like, oh, maybe there's like 300 people working on it. And if you try to, you know, come up with a com- comparable figure for just kind of like overall MLAI researchers, that's maybe like 100,000 based on sort of how many people are attending conferences. Sort of like 300 versus 100,000. You know, that's, that's a pretty big ratio. I mean, you know, you could also kind of like narrow it down a bit more and just like look at the labs. And, you know, like OpenAI has like 400 people. Um, and at least up until recently, they had sort of all of seven people on their sort of like scalable alignment team. So the people working on this sort of long-term problem, so it's, it's better than the overall ratio, but you know, still not that much. And it's not like they, um, yeah. And I mean, like deep, deep mind, I mean, Google brain had nobody, but now they've merged, but you know, so deep mind, that's, you know, maybe a couple thousand people and maybe you have sort of like 20 people on it. And you know, those, those are great 20 people or whatever, but they're not like their top scientists yet or whatever. Um, and so, um, mm, I definitely, I was definitely kind of like, I thought, I thought, you know, when I, when I initially encountered the discourse, you know, a few years ago, I was kind of like, ah, you know, this is like not neglected. Everyone's already talking about it. You know, it's sort of like, I want to work on something cool that nobody else is talking about or whatever. And then you actually look at it and it's like, wow, nobody's actually doing anything. Like you, you got to actually do things, people, you know? Um, yeah. And so the, uh, and so when you count those, you know, a couple hundred people or whatever, is that including the people who are just like making it not say racial slurs and, and stuff like that? There's some overlap and it's sort of um, hard to separate. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not counting sort of like pure ethics people. Um, and then this is sort of mostly trying to count people who are sort of trying to figure out this like long-term problem. Um, so like, for example, at sort of open AI, you know, I said there's maybe the seven people who are doing scalable alignment and then maybe there's another 10, 20 people who are doing the sort of more near-term alignment stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is, this, this is, this is, um, this is, um, you know, another sort of another point, And I think this would be good to talk about is sort of the, um, um, the sort of the long-term problem is separate from the near-term problem. And I think people kind of look at, you know, kind of like quote unquote alignment as in like, don't, don't get chat GBT to say bad words. And then they're kind of like scared away. I'm like, this is silly. You know, this is just the little kind of like, no, 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 no. Um, this is, this is pretty different. Um, yeah. And so, I mean, that, that's sort of, it's strange because, so where does all this money go? Because my, my understanding of people concerned with AI alignment is it's like all these rich guys who have a lot of money and all these effective altruists. And they're, they're not spending the money. They're just talking, they're, they're, they're just tweeting about it. Yeah. I mean, look, like Open Phil, you know, this is basically the main funder. They're doing about 30 million a year on sort of technical AI alignment. Um, and even like, I don't know, like David Bao, I think is sort of like one of the best interpretability researchers, you know, people like that, they like either didn't get funding or barely got funding. So it's not like they're really like, not like there's sort of a massive amount of stuff happening. Um, I mean, there's sort of like, you know, more investment in some of the other cause areas. I mean, you know, most of open fill funding is still malaria nuts, basically. Um, and some in sort of like biosecurity stuff and in sort of um, growing the EA community. So part of that is sort of trying to sort of get young people who will then later work on these issues. Um, but no, there really, there really isn't that, there really isn't that much happening. And I think, and I think part of it is, you know, up until recently, it was this sort of like totally sort of niche issue, you know, nobody was, nobody was talking about it. It seemed really weird. Um, and now people are paying attention and, you know, that's part of what, um, you know, I think it's a really, it's a really important moment now because I think the way we ultimately solve the problem is, is, you know, excellent ML researchers, basically. I think it's an ML problem. You want excellent ML researchers working on it. 
And um, now lots of sort of excellent ML researchers are getting interested. And some of them are just like randomly DMing me on Twitter and things like that. Um, and so I think, yeah, I think, I think if I, you know, I think if I'm like a rich guy who, uh, who's sort of worried about this problem, I'm kind of like, no, there's plenty for you to do. And I think sort of now is the moment. Um, yeah. And so, uh, so the, the Robin Hansen, you know, uh, reply to this is like, there isn't actually all that much for them to do. He gives this, uh, sort of metaphor. If you, you know, took a peasant before the, uh, or whatever, even an intellectual before the, uh, uh, before the industrial revolution. And they were trying to say, you know, think about sort of the 20th century and how to, uh, you know, have arms control or, you know, how to have air traffic control or something like that. He's, you know, he says that there's basically not all that much to do. And you, you clearly disagree with that position. So could you explain why? Yeah, I mean, first I'll reply to Robin, and then we can kind of go through what people are actually doing. But just sort of to the Robin thing, I mean, I, I'm, I'd be more sympathetic to that if I were, you know, 100% sure this was only happening in like 2070 or whatever. Um, I think it's, I mean, look, I think I believe in probability distributions, right? Um, and so I think it is very plausible that sort of all this stuff doesn't go anywhere and it asymptotes and we'll hit sort of like, you know, we'll hit limits on how much we can spend and, you know, it'll be useful, but it'll be sort of like just another kind of useful tool. Um, I also just think it's plausible that, you know, really on sort of like fairly short time horizon, sort of like this decade, basically, um, you know, we're going to hit extremely, extremely powerful systems. Um, I mean, I think about the sort of jump from GPT-2 to GPT-4, right? GPT-2 was sort of like a toddler, right? GPT-2 could sort of count to five and then it would get confused, you know? And it could have say, it could say kind of like vaguely plausible sentences and then it kind of veered off course. That was 2019, right? GPT-4 was kind of like three, four years later. Um, I mean, and GPT-4 is pretty wild. I mean, I just, you know, encourage people to actually try to use it. And, you know, I, people make the common mistake of sort of like using chat GPT, but then like not paying the 20 bucks a month. And then they, you know, they tweet out, you know, like, oh, chat GPT can't do this thing. And then have the little green icon, which is, you know, GPT 3.5. I'm like, no, pay the 20 bucks a month. And it's like actually GPT-4. Wait, you get, you get a better version for 20 bucks a month? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. That's GPT-4. There's like, there's, there's a hilarious Roth Douthat tweet the other, the other day where he's like, look, the singularity will be nigh when Chad GPT can pronounce my name. And he like uh -huh. tweeted it out, it getting it wrong. And it was like, no, if you pay the 20 bucks a month, it actually gets <laughs> it. Like, I to him. It was like, is your next column going to be on, you know, the singularity is now, now, now Roth. Anyway, so I think, you know, GPT-4 is, you know, it's, um, it's doing like really complex reasoning and, you know, you can sort of ask it to solve complex, you know, like math problems and it'll go through all the steps and you know it, uh, it it can like it can play chess you know it's like gpt3 would only kind of like regurgitate possible moves and no gpt4 kind of like has learned to play chess and you know it's um it can and i, I think there's sort of going to be a lot more things that are um um that we'll see once people kind of like hook up gpt4 to more plugins and tools and you know i i basically think gpt4 is is you know and it's like you know it's like 90th percentile at you know, call you know, graduate and college exams, right? Which is wild. Again, GP two to GP four, and that's like you know a few years. And so, look, just imagine a few more of those jumps, and you know, probably that won't be AGI. Probably that'll be like a useful tool and won't do everything. But I don't know. Maybe it will, um, and maybe it will. Um, and in particular, I think a sort of key key thing is sort of like, can you do you get a system that can automate AI research itself? Um, and if you have a system that can automate AI research, then you could that could of make many more algorithmic improvements and um you know and then you get even more powerful systems um anyway all of that is to say i think it's like robin's like oh this is like you know in 500 years or whatever i'm like no i don't know i think there's a pretty reasonable chance this is in five years and like that's pretty soon we should really be working on it yeah uh, yeah 
Yeah, and I think to him, I mean, he would say, oh, well, he'd say a bunch of other things, but yeah, we could uh, we could just sort of go into what do you think. So yeah, I, I, yeah, like, yeah, the yeah. Probability, I like the probability sort of logic because I don't know, like maybe Robin is right. Maybe even more likely than not. You you are totally, not, yeah. you are um yeah, so you're you're not uh you're not working on this with certainty that people are gonna die. Like your 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 work could be useless to humanity, right? There's a problem probability sure, sure. there's really nothing to worry about, right? Maybe some kind of probability. And a lot well, maybe of- maybe even to maybe even the median case. I mean, I just think something like ten percent is incredibly high. I mean it's like this is sort of it's some you know, I think I think most people most people just have sort of like screwed up probabilities all across the board. There's like, you know, 10% chance climate change will kill everybody. It was like, no, there's basically a 0% chance climate change yeah. will kill everybody. It's just like 10% chance is actually very high. Yeah. Um, and people yeah. don't think, people don't think like that. And the vast majority of people would not work on an issue where the immediate outcome was they're, they're doing nothing. Right. That, that, that I think not, very few people would swallow that. I mean, uh, in practice, I don't know. People, most people don't do anything, you know. But. Most people don't do anything, period. <laughs> 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 yeah. Right. Um, so, uh, yeah. I mean, I think, I think 10% makes it sort of like definitely the biggest deal or whatever in the world, like the most important problem. And it's like just the most important problem right now. Yeah. Um, Are you impressed with those like expert surveys? Because they do these expert surveys and they're like, okay, 50, they, you know, the experts say 10, 15%. It's going to kill everyone. Wow. That's amazing. I think that people are not good with probabilities. If you went to nuclear, like uh, war experts, you say, what's the odds we're going to all die in nuclear war? They'd probably say 10%. If you went to, I don't know, pandemic people, they'd probably say 10 you, There's probably 50 things yeah, that people yeah, I mean, probability for. Yeah, I mean, look, here's my take on this. I think one is sort of these like really broad kind of like surveys or forecasting stuff are just like pretty generally low signal. So another example of this is like super forecasters. And I think The Economist was even citing, oh, the super forecasters gave some low probability. But we had we had actually commissioned super forecasters a while back. We had commissioned two different sets. And one of them was the one The Economist published. And another one just gave like much higher numbers, basically numbers like the ones I'm giving, you know, in the sort of like 5 to 25% range. You know? I think there's some reason why we weren't supposed to publish them. So I don't have the exact number for you. But basically, there's sort of like two sets, both reputable super forecasters, and they give like wildly divergent numbers. So I'm sort of like, I don't know, just kind of like low signal there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I do think it's significant. I, I will say, I think it's significant that, um, you know, sort of like, you know, like real AI people are talking about this or just like basically sort of the people who are really concerned about this are the AI lab CEOs. And I think there's some sort of like common causal connection, which is like the AI lab CEOs, like, you know, three years ago already realized that like AI progress would be really rapid and would be a really big deal. You know, when people like Tyler Cowen were like, ah, it won't be or whatever. And it's like, no, the AI lab CEOs were right. They're sort of close to the thing. They saw it happening. And the same AI lab CEOs are really worried about the AI alignment stuff because they're like, they're very close to the progress on the AI alignment stuff. And they're like, wow, I'm just like not impressed by the progress right now. And it's like, we really got upper game there. Um, and um, yeah, so I sort of, I think that's worth taking seriously. You know, one thing that AI is not good at, this is a bit of a digression, uh, Leopold, but the AI is not as not good at making transcripts of me talking. It can make good, tra- and I, I suspect it wouldn't make good transcripts of you talking because I've tried to do automated AI and it really depends on the guest. Some people speak in like complete sentences and sort of like the way people write. Me and you, I think, are different. We sort of speak with false starts. Mark Andreessen was the other podcast. You couldn't do, you couldn't do an automated of Mark Andreessen either. So when, when AI can do a, when AI could do a transcript. We'll do it this year. You know, it's it's like one of these things. It's like you know, Brian Kaplan. I mean, that was glorious. Brian Kaplan was like, you like, you know, ChatGPT got a D on my midterm or whatever, and you know, I I bet it won't do it this decade. And then literally like three months later, you know, it's like GPT four. It's again the one you pay twenty bucks a month for came out, and he was like, oh well, it actually like got the best score in my class. Um, yeah. The uh, 
Okay, so I haven't checked in like you know six months or something. So maybe maybe it can actually do my voice by now. Um, it does uh, it does go fast. The um, it, well, the, the chat GHB, the twenty bucks you pay for, it's just the thing. It's just the input output. You type stuff and then it comes back. I can't like give it an audio file and say make a transcript, can I? I mean, uh, not yet, but yeah, the plugins, yeah. The plugins will yeah, come. yeah, because you know the transcript, the transcript is you know wh- you know whisper or whatever. There's sort of other AI models that'll do it, and you know, chat, you know, ChatGPT is getting a code interpreter. So yeah, probably. I mean, maybe like later this year, you know, you can just sort of upload it and they'll do it. Yeah. Anyway, so let's, do you want to talk about the the sort of like technical problem of alignment? Yes, I, I do. Um, so yeah, there's a different couple different ways. I mean, you just you, talk about whatever you think is sort of the most important points. Yeah, have. yeah, sounds good. All right, so look, what is, what is alignment? I feel like this has sort of become a corrupted term or whatever. And I think at a basic level, it's just, look, you want the system to do what it says on the tin. And it's like, look, I want to ask this, for example, I think a good example is just like, you want it to be honest, right? I ask a system a question and I want to like honestly report what it knows. Um, and so I think forget about, you know, some people are like, oh, complex human values or these weird, forget about that. It's just like sort of like get the system to do what it says on the tin. Um, um, yeah. So how do we do that? Um, the basic method we use right now is basically human supervision. Um, so we're kind of like, um, you know, we have the system. So first we do this big pre-training, we have it read the internet or whatever. And then, you know, the system is sort of like sort of a, you know, a child that is like watched a bunch of people like speak or whatever and it's learned to learn the language but then we're like okay now we want the system to do things like chat gpt and then how do we do that we sort of just train it with sort of human thumbs up thumbs down so we're like give us an answer we're like this is a good answer this is a bad answer um and then um it learns from that and it produces answers that sort of get thumbs up uh and you know you could sort of imagine other versions of this that are like look we want um yeah anyway, so that's that's the basic thing it's rlhf it's human supervision um the sort of key issue for this long-term problem is um, how do we supervise a superhuman system, right? So right now, ChatGPT gives an answer. We can sort of easily tell if it's sort of dumb or not, or if it's you know honest or not, and we're like thumbs up, thumbs down. GPT seven, you know, maybe we have GPT seven, and it's like basically superhuman and a bunch of things, and we hook it up to you know a bunch of different the internet and plugins and whatever, and you're basically having it run our business. And then we're like, look, GPT-7, like, give, give me a business plan or like, write me a new software to improve my business. And then it you know, gives us you know, 10,000 pages and really complicated software program. And then we're like, uh, you know, I mean, does this like, violate any laws? Is this okay? Um, and like, we don't know. It's like, way too complex for us to sort of uh, supervise. Um, and so sort of the basic method we're using doesn't work anymore. Um, Human supervision doesn't really scale to superhuman systems. Um, we can't even sort of detect the bad behavior, uh, so we can't prevent it. Um, and so that's sort of the basic situation you were in, and like, how do you fix that? Um, and there's a bunch of different things people are doing. Yeah. Okay. So let me ask you this: Would, would the honesty, if you solved the honesty, would that solve everything? If you just had a thing that never lied to you. Um, would you, would that be it? Well, like it, it couldn't manipulate you, right? It could, but it could like try to convince you with argument. So, yeah, I think, I think honesty would get you pretty far. I'm not sure if it would solve anything, but I basically, I think if you get, you know, GPT-7 to be honest with you, I think, yeah, I think you'd get you pretty far. I think, I think honesty is great because I think you can kind of think about it. It makes a lot of sense. It's sort of like obvious you want it. I think it's also just surprisingly hard. Um, there's, there's actually a paper yesterday that kind of illustrates this. So, you know, sometimes, yeah, I'll, I'll talk about the paper briefly. So, you know, you think the model, give, you know, sometimes, sometimes the models do chain of thought, right? So you're kind of like, you know, you give it, a, you give it an exam question, you know, here, here, A, B, C, and D, and then, um, you know, tell me which one is correct and explain your thinking. 
And then I'll choose B and be like, look, it's B because, you know, first step in this math problem is this. And then we do the second step and whatever. And so, you know, you could imagine like, oh, man, this, this will make, make things fine because we can like look at what these models are thinking and they'll be honest and it'll be totally fine, right? Mm. But in fact, sort of what the model is thinking can be quite different from what it says. And so in this paper, basically, they kind of like um, got the model to choose a, a, different, a different answer for a particular reason. Um, in this case, it was for an example of this was they sort of gave it a bunch of examples where the answer was always A. So they gave it a test, the answer was always A. Um, and then uh, learned that, and then it sort of would answer A. But then it would give, make up some sort of totally different reason for why it chose A. So it'd be like, oh, the answer is A, you know, because step one is that, and then step two is that, and step three is that. Um, where, in fact, the reason it chose A is because every other answer is A. But it didn't say that, right? Um, and it, in fact, knew that it was wrong, um, sort of on the facts. Mm. And so, um, you know, on, or on the human supervision side, you know, just one thing, one way to think about why honesty might be hard is, um, you know, um, uh, will the model learn to sort of tell us the is truth? This, is this a thing of like self-aware? Is this like a self-awareness thing? Like it doesn't even know like what it's doing. Right? No, no, no. It, it, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily know what it's doing. It yeah. So it can't be, be honest with you. It has to know to be honest. So that's like a, it's, you've trained it to say a, you're saying, but then it gives a false reason for saying a, right. Just because it doesn't have like a self-awareness. Is that the idea? I mean, basically, it's just like the model will do what you train it to do, but it's sort of that might behave in weird ways. For example, if you just train it with sort of thumbs up, thumbs down, the thing it might learn is not be honest, but sort of like say what a human would think, right? So if you trained an LLM in like the 1300s, the model would definitely say God exists uh, because like all the answers were denies God. It's like every people are like thumbs down, thumbs down. And then the model sort of generalizes, oh, I should say the thing the humans want to hear rather than kind of like, you know, actually, God, you know, this is this is totally wrong. You know, this is some weird. Yeah, and this is the problem. This up. is just a problem with re reinforcement learning. You don't know what it's picking up. It's just sort of doing stuff. Right. And so is the, is the, the, the algorithm. I mean, is it, is it that simple? The algorithm is basically that you tell it to move towards we'll move towards A and move away from B. And that's basically just all that's going on. And is that what they would they refer to as like the black box and you really don't you can't really see what's going on at that point? Yeah, yeah, totally. So, you know, you're you're basically, yeah, you're you're training it through some sort of process of evolution. You're giving it sort of some thumbs up, thumbs down signal. Um and um, you know, and that that might work really well. And there's sort of some just some question of how it generalizes. So, you know, like in the thumbs up, thumbs down case, in the honesty case, you know. Um, does it generalize? Yeah, does it generalize to tell you the truth, or does it generalize to sort of tell you what what it thinks the humans want to hear? Um, um, and um, you know, and there might be all sorts of things you can do. It's like, oh, this is so simple. We'll just like get it to explain its reasoning. But in fact, you know, what it's saying is not what it's actually reasoning. It's just some other thing it made up. And in fact, its reasoning was some totally different thing. Um, and so, sort of even honesty is just like quite hard. I think it's like very much solvable. And so, there's some like cool stuff you can do, and we can talk about that. Um, but it's you don't really get it by default. Um, Okay, so how how is honesty? I mean, that might as well talk about it now. How is honesty solvable? I mean, so it's not solved, but I think there's things you can do. So, for example, I think there's a a recent cool paper by Colin Burns um, that basically you know looked inside the model and found sort of like little like truth neurons, um, sort of simplified. But basically, you know, looked inside the model and um, yeah, found a little lie detector. 
Um, and what's particularly cool about this is sort of he found the lie detector in an unsupervised way. So it wasn't like he gave it a bunch of examples. It was just basically based on some sort of like consistency properties that he was able to like identify the sort of like these truth neurons. Um, and that's really important because unsupervised methods sort of don't have this problem of sort of human supervision where they would predictably fail superhuman systems. Um, and so, you know, like sort of example where you could use this sort of like truth neuron thing or like what this thing accomplished was, you know, you can sort of prompt a model to tell you wrong things, right? You can like, you can prompt a model with kind of like, you know, Reddit falsehoods or whatever. And then you can ask it, what's the capital of Pennsylvania? And it'll just kind of say, um, Philadelphia, that's a common misconception. When in fact, the capital is Harrisburg. Um, and the model will say that. But in fact, if you kind of like look at the truth neurons, it's like the truth neuron is like, no, 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 I'm, I'm, I know this is incorrect. Um, and, um, and yeah, and I think this is, um, I think there's like two parts of this that are kind of cool and gesturing at, um, uh, directions that I'm excited about, you know, part one is basically sort of like looking at model internals, you know, so this is a broader thing of sort of interpretability. Um, and there's sort of a key advantage we have, um, on these models basically is we can look inside of them. Um, and then part two that I think is really exciting about this, this particular paper is it's sort of unsupervised. So, you know. I was saying, you know, human supervision is what we do right now, but it might predictably fail with superhuman models. So are there sort of things we can do that are unsupervised or that are sort of much weaker human supervision um, and that still work? Yeah, that's interesting. So um, is it the, um, uh, so the truth neuron, right? So it, it must have some, how does it know that uh, Harrisburg is, so it, it, it must have some conception, it sounds like, of credible sources of information and non-credible sources of information. So it looks at maybe an encyclopedia or something and it sees one capital of Philadelphia and then it sees some dumb person on Reddit and it's, you know, they say Philadelphia. Um, is, 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 is something like that going on? How does, how does it like determine truth in the, uh, in these models? I don't know the same way you determine truth, you know, it's sort of like you've, you've read a bunch of things and you've learned things and you have a sense of sort of what information is true and what information is false. And, you know, there might be certain situations in which you kind of like lie or say the wrong thing because for whatever reason, but you kind of still know whether it's true or false. And there's some sort of like separate way in which your brain registers that. And, um, you know, sort of the column paper is basically saying, oh, these models do that too. And we can, we can sort of like locate other things in these, these models' brains, which is, you know, cool. So like, I think there's another, another one of the sort of cool interpretability papers is one by sort of David Bow's lab. And they basically like found where like specific pieces of facts were located in their brain. Um, and then they were able to change it. So they're like, the Eiffel Tower is in Paris, right? So it's like, okay, it's in Paris. The model knows it's in Paris. You can say the Eiffel Tower is, and the model will say in Paris. Um, and then they're sort of able to go into the head, basically, and, and sort of find find the parts of the model that corresponded to that factual knowledge of in Paris. And then they were able to do even more. They're able to change that. So they're like, okay, now we're going to make it in Rome. So they sort of change that part of the model. And now it's like, now the Eiffel Tower is in Rome. And now when you ask the model questions about the Eiffel Tower, the model thinks it's in Rome. Um, so you're like, you know, how do I get from Berlin to the Eiffel Tower by train? And the model will give you train directions to Rome because it now thinks really like it really thinks the model's in Tron. You sort of found the core source. Um, and, um, you know, anyway, so this sort of work is super embryonic right now. Um, and, you know, bar you know, barely any work. Um, but I, I think I think there's a lot of potential there. Um, and in particular, I mean, one thing I'll just say you know, about sort of broadly, what is the hope for AI alignment is the same way we'll be able to use AIs to automate sort of AI capabilities research and build more powerful AI systems. Hopefully we're going to be able to use AIs to um, automate 
the sort of like AI safety or AI alignment research. So maybe we can use AI to sort of help automate interpretability research. And in fact, just yesterday, there was sort of a paper that came out from OpenAI where they did sort of embryonic steps towards automating interpretability. Yeah. So on your, uh, so j- j- like a, a simple question. So when you say go into the machine and see where it, you know, believes where the Eiffel Tower is, you be it's, you're all doing this by head. You're, you're prompting stuff and you're ex- extracting, right? Yeah. You're, you're looking at model activations basically. So it's like, you know, when, when, when you, when you give, you know, when you ask chat, you, be, you know, when you ask one of these language models, you know, um, what is the capital of Pennsylvania or whatever that, you know, then there's, you know, GPT three or whatever has 175 billion parameters. And so there's just a whole bunch, billions of neurons that are sort of like lighting up in different ways. And then you kind of like look at the pattern of how things are lighting up. And then you're like, Oh God, where, where's, where's the knowledge, you know? Uh, but there's sort of better ways of doing that. Um, what's the basis for a non-computer science audience? The, uh, lighting up means what it, there's not something that's lighting up. It's not like Christmas lights, right? Well, what do, what are you, what are you looking at when you're investigating this stuff? Oh, I mean, so, I mean, literally neural networks are just like, you know, GPT-3 is like 175 billion numbers, sort of parameters. And, um, you know, you put the words in, the words are also just sort of translated into numbers. You put the words in their numbers and then there's like, they're multiplied and added in a bunch of different ways. And then a couple numbers come out and those are translated back into words. And then the way these models are literally trained is you just kind of like turn the knobs on the 175 billion parameters again and again and again while you're kind of like reading the internet to like kind of generate a little better and better, better sort of text at the other end um, until like actually is like, wow, this this thing is actually really good. Um, it's it's pretty magical. But this, I mean, this is part of the black box thing, right? It's like, there's no sort of like, there's no like computer code you're writing. You're just kind of like, you're specifying the training process. You're specifying this almost kind of like evolutionary process. You're kind of like, look, read the internet and be able to kind of like predict the next word. Um, that's sort of the pre-training. And we're going to adjust the knobs. So you're good at that. And then after we're going to adjust the knobs a little bit more so that it gets good, get thumbs up rather than thumbs down from humans. And that's, that's the process. So it's basically, I mean, it's an, it's an algorithm, right? That's that's fundamentally what we have. It's not a. Um, is there? When, when, like when they say black box, is it that like it's just too much? Like is is there like like is there just like too much information there, or is it like literally this information cannot be extracted anyway? Um. It's just, um, so, I mean, you can look at the activations, basically, you can look at the little neurons lighting up. It's just the same way, sort of like a human brain. Yeah, it's pretty similar to a human brain. It's sort of like, it's basically like the information you have is basically if you could kind of like scan all the neurons in a human brain. So it's more information than we have for a human brain, but we still don't know what the heck all the neurons are doing. It's just basically this like maze of numbers. And this maze of numbers was just kind of like came out of this, like these giant computers that were optimizing the network um, in this sort of basically evolutionary training process. Yeah, again. Okay, so you got so sort of like the intelligence is sort of like an emergent property of of a brain. Is is that how how it is? But you could look at the neurons and you can look at the numbers. You can look at the literal numbers. Yeah, yeah, like the literal actuations, zeros and ones. Yes, basically. Yeah. Uh, uh, Okay. Yeah, that is that's a that's interesting. So you're uh, so. Uh, in the in the in the um, article on nobody's on the ball, you talked about reinfor- uh, reinforcement learning from human feedback, so that's thumbs up, thumbs down, and then you talk about sort of the uh, try to iter- iteratively make it work, uh, the scalable oversight. So, can you talk about that a little bit? 
Yeah, yeah, sure. So yeah, maybe I should maybe I should give sort of a bit of sort of a broader overview. So yeah, so baseline, basically, the thing we're doing right now is sort of like just human supervision. So we tell it whether it's good or bad, or we tell it whether it's honest or not. Um, and that's how we get ChatGPT to not say bad words. And that, that works pretty well. I mean, there's lots of sort of engineering work to make it sort of even better. But baseline, it works. And the key difficulty is we're going to maybe build superhuman models and human supervision might not work anymore. And so, okay, so how do we sort of like get something that scales to sort of superhuman models? Um, and um, so what is there? I mean, one, there's just kind of like Miri and like Eliezer who've been kind of around for kind of like 20 years or whatever, We're basically just philosophers. I mean, that, that basically I just kind of want to say is like, forget about all that. Or just like, don't, don't worry about that. It's like, I don't, it's not going to lead anywhere. I think the way, the way we solve this problem is sort of, you know, ML research, um, and, you know, shape rotating, not word selling. And I think it's actually sort of done some damage to the field where people think it's some weird philosophy thing rather than sort of like a real technical problem. All right. So what else can you do? I think the sort of like baseline lab plan is basically, all right, so we'll do the human supervision thing, the sort of RLHF, thumbs up, thumbs down, and then we're going to build human level AI. Um, and then once we have human level AI, the AIs are going to do AI research and we're going to get even more powerful systems. But we're also going to get the AIs to do alignment research. Um, and um, hopefully they'll solve it. And so, I don't know, that, that might work. Seems seems like that's that's one of the reasons I'm like, yeah, median scenarios may be okay. It's like maybe we can also just get the AIs to do the alignment research. And like, you know, anyway, I, I, think, I think it'd be good to prepare that a bit better. But, you know, like one of the things is AI is doing interpretability research, like I mentioned earlier. But um, so that might work. One particular component of this plan is sort of what people call scalable oversight. Um, so it's basically like tr tr try to sort of augment the human feedback to be a bit better. So, for example, you know, you're, I mentioned earlier this scenario of like, look, you're faced with this sort of like 10,000 page plan with 100,000 lines of code. And you're like, ah, I can't evaluate this. And um, maybe one thing you could do is you could have little AI helpers that help you evaluate it. So you're kind of like, oh, do I, do I give this a thumbs up, thumbs down? And I'm like, oh, well, I have all my little AI helpers. Um, and maybe I'll even have the AI helpers debate each other um, and so on. But basically, you kind of like use AIs to help you better supervise other AIs. Um, Anyway, and roughly I call this sort of like the iterative plan. So you kind of like, you go as far as you can with human supervision, and then you use AIs to like help help your supervision, amplify that supervision, use AIs to help you do alignment research. Um, and yeah, anyway, it might work. It might not work. I'm like, I'm, I think this is like one of the great hopes, but I just like, I am, I feel really uneasy as just kind of like relying on only that. Um, yeah. Sounds like the same, it sounds like the same alignment problem, right? Who monitors the monitor, right? If the if the you know you're not aligned with the the whole monitor AI, right? It's the same problem. I mean, that's one of the reasons it might fail. Yeah. <laughs> okay. What, <laughs> what what else is there? Is there is there anything else besides? Is, do we have any other? Yeah. Ideas so I mean, then there's sort of some of the interpretability work I've described. I mean, so the interpretability work I've described so far is a bit more kind of like the sort of like top down interpretability. Most of the time when people talk about interpretability, they mean mechanistic interpretability. So that's basically we're going to like sort of like think of this as sort of like the basic physics version of interpretability. So we're going to sort of like understand these networks from the ground up. Uh, Chris Ola at Anthropic has done good, you know, sort of the pioneer of this and has done awesome work. Um, Neil Nand is a person who sort of maybe you've seen sort of online and is active and has done some really interesting work on this. Mm, for example, he's done some work on sort of like grokking, basically sort of sometimes it seems like neural networks suddenly understand a thing and like what's going on there. Um, and I'm, I'm like very excited that people are doing this work and I think it might be really helpful. I think, um, you know, I'm a little bit worried that it's uh, way too hard of a problem or it's just sort of like, um, 
you know, yeah, it's sort of like maybe the AGI is coming in just a few years and you're kind of like, you know, maybe we're going to like about to turn on the nuclear reactor basically. And we're like, oh, is the nuclear reactor going to be safe? How can we do the safety engineering for the nuclear reactor? And then the people over here and like, oh, I'm going to work with particle colliders and we're going to do some basic physics. And, you know, that's going to make our nuclear reactor safe. And I'm like, oh, maybe I'm glad you're doing your thing. But um, and so anyway, the sort of interpretability work I'm a little bit more excited about is some of the work I mentioned earlier, which is basically, um, you know, more targeted. So it's like, you know, instead of trying to sort of understand for the ground up, we're going to just kind of like try to look for the thing that's like, is it telling the truth or not? Um, and maybe even try to, yeah. Um, or the sort of David Bao one, which is like, look, try to look for specific facts. And maybe later we get a better, we want to like look for specific things. Um, we want to maybe change what they're trying to do or whatever. Um, yeah. All right. So that's interpretability. One more frame I'll mention that I'm sort of pretty excited for how to think about this. And this is newer, and there isn't that much online about this yet. But this is also, um, you know, from some of the OpenAI people, Colin uh, Burns at OpenAI in particular, um, is um, you can think about this problem as a, as a generalization problem. Um, and um, in particular, sort of easy to hard generalization problem. So... There's a bunch of examples where humans can supervise it, and those are sort of easy examples where um, humans understand what's going on. And then there's sort of like hard examples that um, humans no longer understand. And the question is, how does how does sort of like what you tell the AI generalize? Um, and so generalization is basically a core ML problem, or it's you know one of the reasons deep learning is so successful is because. Um, uh, neural networks and deep learning is so so good at generalization. Um, and you, you know there's sort of very basic generalization problems, which is like you showed a bunch of pictures of birds and you wanted to learn to look at the sort of like the bird itself and not the blue sky behind it. And a sort of naive failure mode is like, oh, it'll learn to think bird when it looks at a blue sky. Um, and, um, you know, that, that's called spurious cues. And, you know, people are able to solve that sort of, and it's just sort of basically an engineering problem. Um, and so same same thing here is, you know, like when you're giving it the thumbs up, for example, for honesty, is it going to generalize to kind of like tell the truth or is it going to generalize to, um, um, you know, what would the human think? And so you want to make sure it generalizes correctly. And, and there's a bunch of sort of very simple settings in which you can study this. Um, yeah, maybe there's sort of too much detail, but basically you can kind of look at like, um, you know, very normal ML models and be like, how does this generalize if we sort of only give it sort of easy labels and we don't give it all the labels? Um, and um, that's pretty analogous to the ultimate problem. Um, and it's sort of pretty exciting to me if we can just kind of like make this a science. We're going to study generalization. We're going to understand generalization really well. Um, and uh, we're going to study a bunch of settings and test beds that look similar to the ultimate problem. Yeah, this is uh, this is hopeful. I mean, there's a... Um uh you know there's a um like it's it's when you think of just sort of i think when most people talk about this it's like oh there's going to be this thing that wakes up one day and then it's going to be plotting against us and you know and just like a human would and it's going to do all these other things just going to be super intelligent and what you're saying is like we can sort of we can break this down into a bunch of manageable parts make it into something of a science um and then, you know, it'll be something that'll be very advanced in some ways. And like, you know, we'll, we'll retard some things like we'll retard its ability to like, you know, lie to us. Right. Hopefully we'll retard, we'll retard this or it's like, you know, maliciousness or it's bloodlust or, or whatever. Right. It's like, we can, we can work on all these things. And instead of seeing it as like this God that just comes up, like it's going to be, it's coming here through the process. Right. It, it's not going to be a thing that's just going to have like a 1 million IQ and then otherwise be a blank slate. Right. Is that, that's totally. Sort of yeah. Idea? 
I mean, I think I think it could happen a lot faster than people think, you know, and sort of I think I think like I said, I think we get the sort of like human level thing the next in this decade, basically. And I think once we get the human level thing, I think it'll start getting really good at AI research and make a bunch of algorithmic progress. And I think we might get like much more advanced systems really quickly. Um, but even though all of this is happening really quickly, I just yeah, I think there's tons of things we can do. Um, and um yeah, and in particular, I just think it's like again, it's sort of like an ML problem. Um, that said, I just think I think there's a very reasonable chance we just like fail, and we just like don't even like. I mean, in particular, right now we're like not even trying that much, and so it's like first step, we really got to try, you know, and we actually got to have sort of like the serious, ambitious efforts. We've got to have the like operation warp speed, you know. Um, and I think even if we do the operation warp speed, and we have like all the best minds working on it in the world, which I sort of like very much hope we will, and I sort of think we will. Um, uh, even then, I think it's going to be like a really hard problem, but. Um, yeah, I think there's there's plenty of things we can do. You know, we can we can look inside their brains. We can have other AIs um, try to like look inside other AIs' brains and like sort of monitor each other. And we can you know uh, we can try to like study this generalization thing and you know things like that. Yeah, that's yeah that is a that is a helpful message. So your pitch to I think there's a you know there's a pitch here that you can make to other young people. Right? It's like you might. I mean, you might save the world. This is this is a, this is everything, right? This is the, this is like there's a downside here, right? This could kill us, but there's also, I mean, then this will transition us into the uh, about you know exponential uh, economic growth, right? There's a positive here if we get this right. Um, so yeah, let's do that. Let's let's go into you know uh, exponential economic growth. What are what are the prospects? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, one well, yeah, one more, uh, you know, maybe a couple more things I'll say on on. I mean, one is I think sort of I think alignment is like one of the really big issues. I think it's not the only issue. I mean, I think even if we figure out the the sort of like alignment part, um, uh, I still think we face basically the like pocket nukes issue, um, which is like if we have these like very very powerful systems, and maybe as we'll talk about earlier later, they'll like maybe accelerate science technology a bunch. It's just like yeah they'll have like really powerful weapons or like they'll be able to create really destructive things and they'll be very powerful and maybe they'll be able to create really crazy bioweapons and things like that. So I think first order of business is sort of make sure the AIs, um, you know, don't, don't launch a coup against the humans, you know, make sure that sort of the humans can like reliably control the AIs. And even though the AIs can make bioweapons, sort of like they'll only make bioweapons when we tell them to make bioweapons, you know? And so like, that's first step. That's the technical problem. I think it's a very important technical problem. It's an unsolved technical problem. All right. So it's like, we can't, we don't, we can't prevent the AI from just kind of like randomly making a bioweapon directly against us. Once we've solved that technical problem, we still have the, t- the problem of like, maybe other people will like, just tell the AI to make the bioweapon, use it to make a bioweapon. And so I think that, I know, that could be a pretty crazy world. Um, I think there's also just the the thing about, like, look, you don't want Xi Jinping to rule the world. So it's like, look, if we just, like, I mean, right now we're ahead, but, you know, maybe we just, like, fall behind a lot and just, you know, China uses really powerful AIs to take over the world. Um, um, For what it's worth, one one thing that I think is, is, is also really underrated there is just sort of, like, basic infosec. It's like... I think people really underrate espionage. China does an extraordinary amount of hacking. I think they've just like infiltrated a lot of our systems. And, um, you know, I think right now sort of the AI labs, you know, sort of the DNA is sort of like, I'm just a startup. And they very much don't have sort of like nuclear secrets level uh, infosec. And, um, you know, whether you care about, you know, whether you're just like a China hawk and you want to be China or you're like one of the AI safety warriors, you're kind of like, oh, I don't want China to just kind of like randomly steal the weights of the model. Um so I think if you're like, you know, looking for things to do, if you're like a government looking for things to do, I'm kind of like, oh man, just like lock down, lock down these, like the lab info security. It's just like, oof, um, you know, get the NSA to do penetration testing, you know, like require security clearances, stuff like that. 
Yeah. Okay. So yeah. So this is uh. So yeah. This is the sort of the way we're going. I th- you know the the pocket nukes issue. You're right. So there's other things to work on. The AI is not a sort of alignment is solved and then everything is you know happily ever after. We have other issues there. But I want to let's talk about let's talk about the upside. I mean let's talk about the upside. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Are we going to see you know what what do you so you have there's a there's a report um on uh from Open Philanthropy on expo uh explosive economic growth. You've done a little work on this area. Um you know we're we're we've stagnated, right? We're down to, you know, two, three percent a year. Three percent is a good year now and used to be much higher, you know, uh, several decades ago. Um and so, you know, what are the what why won't this just sort of continue forever? Are there prospects of us to hypercharge economic growth again? Yeah, great. So let's talk about this. So um So I think this is, again, where basically the probability distribution comes in. And I think there's sort of like, you know, it's very plausible, basically, AI will be sort of another one of, you know, a series of very successful tools um, that, you know, automate some fraction of the economy and some fraction of what we do, but don't automate everything. Um, I think this is sort of the strong prior because most technologies have been like this. So even like, um, you know, coding, you know, if you're trying to write a software program right now versus, you know, 50 years ago, um, your coding is a lot more efficient because you have sort of like, you know, various libraries and you can look at other people's code and it's, you know, you're not writing in ones and zeros, you're writing in some programming language. Um, you know, we've like automated lots of farm work, you know, and that's what people used to do. And, um, you know, there used to be sort of big rooms of people um, uh, doing sort of basic calculations, you know, it's like computers used to be people. And now we have sort of Excel spreadsheets or whatever. And so there's lots of things that are sort of like, you know, they automate a lot or they're like 90% automation. Um, but the remaining 10% is basically always the bottleneck. And that's sort of like the thing that constrains growth. And so even though we have sort of a series of things that automate, you know, 90%, we have that sort of like last 10%, that's the bottleneck, that's what humans do. Um, and we sort of get this sort of steady amount of growth. Now, Maybe AI will be like that. And then I think all the sort of like, you know, I think it'll be maybe as big as the internet, you know, it'll be a very big deal. I think, you know, like we're already seeing right now and lots of the tech companies will work on it and uh, maybe even boost growth a little bit, but the sort of the overall picture looks the same. Um, and the overall, I mean, the overall picture, the, you know, we've had somewhat slower economic growth, but it's more like, oh, we've gone down from like 3% to 2%. The overall picture is sort of like, you know, the last 150 years or whatever has been, you know, basically constant on like a log chart. So it's just sort of like constant 2% a year economic growth. What could also happen is that the AI uh, doesn't stop at 90%. It ends up being more like 100% automation. And um, I'll talk about the plausibility of that in a moment. But I think if you did get 100% automation, that would really, really change things. And in particular, I think that the key thing would be sort of like 100% automation of R&D. And so if you could sort of like automate science and technology, then, you know, the AI could just, you know, come up with much better science and technology and much better inventions and sort of like science and technology sort of basically is what drives this longer economic growth. And so that could go a lot faster. And so then rather than your reference point being the sort of like last 150 years of very constant growth, if you look at a longer time horizon, it's like the industrial revolution, the industrial revolution, massively accelerated growth. The agricultural revolution. The agricultural revolution massively accelerated growth. So on the sort of like somewhat longer time horizon, uh, overall economic growth has actually been accelerating. Um, and um, yeah, and so it's just like plausible that AI would do that. Um, and um, I think I think basically the scenarios where we should be worried about AI and things might get totally crazy. The thing, you know, the scenarios where we should be worried about AI, like the AI risk worries or whatever, are also the scenarios in which things will get totally crazy. Um, 
because we're going to get this explosive economic growth. Whereas if it's just, you know, if it's just like the internet or just another 90% technology, you know, we shouldn't be that worried about it. Yeah. I think you would have to see a really, I mean, you say, you know, we don't know what AI is going to do to economic growth, but, you know, assuming that it doesn't kill us, the, um, uh, the, uh, you know, the plausibility of it, it's like, it's gonna, you know, it's this thing that, you know, just if there's no advancement, right. You just have chat GPT, which is like a, you know, much better Google and can write songs for you already, uh, and can, you know, plan your day and, you know, uh, you know, automate, you know, a good portion of your life. That seems, you know, huge already. Right. Um, Right. But I think that's that's sort of like, you know, internet scale rather than like we're going to go to like 30 percent a year economic growth. Or we're going to go to like 100 percent a year economic growth or sort of like things going really crazy. And I think like I just so I think it's very plausible. It's only internet scale. I think it's also plausible that things go totally crazy. And I think that's the thing people really like underrate. Um, and, um, you know, sort of like in some ways, you know, sometimes people quote sort of like timelines to AGI and there's always sort of like some confusion about what AGI is or whatever. And I'm like, I like to quote timelines to like Dyson spheres, you know, just basically timelines until things are really crazy. Because um, I think if you do get the explosive economic growth world, things could get really, really crazy. Um, yeah. And maybe on that, I think one sort of key um, key point or like one concrete thing to think about is basically like... Um, um, the sort of key milestone would basically be like an AI that can automate every, everything like researchers and engineers at OpenAI do, um, right? Because if an AI can automate everything researchers and engineers at OpenAI do, then AI can sort of just on computers basically like do what OpenAI researchers do, which is like come up with better algorithms for these AI systems. Um, and, you know, they can come up with better AI systems. And for example, like robotics, people are always like, oh, but it won't be able to make sort of scientific discoveries because, you know, it requires experiments in the labs. And I was like, no, it'll solve robotics. Like robotics right now, it's like we have the hardware. The main constraint is just like software, right? It's like, you know, we, we don't have good ways to like make the robots move around in the world. And I'm just like, yeah, I kind of think like, um, you know, probably if you had um, AI, open AI researchers, they could figure out the software. And in particular, you don't just have sort of like one AI open AI researcher. You have, you know, you'd have sort of like millions of copies and they'd all be running super fast and probably they'd start getting superhuman. Um, and anyway, so that, that sort of benchmark of like an AI that can do AI research itself, I think it's like really important to emphasize that like, yeah, I think it's really hard, right? Like that's quite different from JetGPT. JetGPT is like a useful tool. And the thing I'm talking about here is like a thing that can do like 100% of the jobs of the people who work at OpenAI, um, sort of like the value of their labor would go to zero or whatever. Um, but also, you know, again, earlier we were talking about that sort of jump from GPT-2 to GPT-4, where, you know, GPT-2 was sort of like toddler level, could barely count to five. And then, um, you know, GPT-4 was like, you know, 90th percentile at, you know, college and graduate exams. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know where this is going. What do you think? Um, do you think that, uh, what do you think of those arguments that a, uh, the you know the internet not having that much uh, effect on growth is just sort of a product that it's really not capturing the consumer surplus. Imagine a world where you know you could imagine something similar happen with AI. AI basically takes over all your chores, plans your day, does all the grunt work you don't like. It doesn't cost all that much because anyone just twenty dollars a month or whatever. Uh, but the consumer surplus is huge, and we just use that time to I don't know go to the beach and, and lay around. Like are, are the G, are the GDP numbers even even capturing things anymore? I mean, let's talk about the internet one. Um, what is the, you know, running water is very cheap. You know, my, uh, my monthly uh, utility bill, you know, it's, you know, it's not nothing, but it's, it's pretty cheap. But, you know, the consumer surplus I get from running water and sewage over a, an outhouse and like carrying buckets is really fucking big, you know? Um, 
natural gas. You know, I mean, it's more expensive recently, but it's you know it's pretty cheap. But like the consumer surplus I get from a stove is is very large. You know, um, air conditioners. I mean, electricity is pretty expensive, but it's pretty cheap. But like the, the the consumer surplus from air conditioners are incredible, right? It's just like you know, entire swaths of the country become basically inhabitable. Um, you know, so I think the point here, and I think this is sort of made well by Robert Gordon in his book, The Rise and Fall of American Growth, is that this argument people make about the internet. You could have made just as much, if not honestly, probably more about sort of like the big wave of technologies around sort of the like early 20th, mid 20th century. But maybe um, that proves maybe that proves too much. Maybe that proves that it's it's all nonsense. All the, all the GDP numbers are nonsense, not just the Internet. Uh, since the Internet Yeah, I mean, I, I basically think like I think G, all the things people say about how GDP is imperfect is right. Um, but I also think it's sort of still underrated. It's a pretty good measure. You know, it like attracts some real things. Um, and like, you know, I think like it was, you know, we did grow slower before the industrial revolution and then we did grow more quickly after the industrial revolution. And like, you know, we probably have grown more slowly in the last, you know, whatever 50 years than in the sort of 50 year period before that. Um, and you know, some countries go more quickly than others. So yeah, I think, I think there's these issues of sort of like long run sort of GDP measurements, but I think, yeah. I think the thing I'm talking about, if it sort of comes to path, the sort of like really past is like really explosive growth. It's sort of like, it would be obvious to you. Like, you know, we'd be, um, you know, like we, we, you know, we'd sort of like, we'd have like little robot factories that are just like cranking out just like, you know, gazillions of like little drone swarms and they all have like highly accurate targeting. And there's some like crazy WMD war with China going on. And like, I don't know, like you'd notice sort of like. I, I don't. I don't think at that point. There's. I think the, the the thing I'm saying is like, will it sort of be roughly on trend for the last of the last 150 years, or will it be like a clear break of this with this trend, sort of like the way the industrial revolution was? Um, yeah, that's that's uh, that that's conv- that's convincing. Yeah, it's it's you're right that there we are capturing something. It's not it's not perfect. Uh, but it is, uh, yeah, I think you're right. When I hear one country has a higher GDP than others, it seems to correlate with reality and sort of seems to correlate with the common sense about the industrial revolution uh, and all of that. Um, do you do you worry that sort of what's what might happen here is um, you know we might strangle the uh, we might strangle the innovation to death and we won't we won't be able to basically employ it. So there's a lot of things like for example like the internet wasn't able to do like um, you know like Uber was like pretty much illegal but they did it anyway, right? Um, you know like a, a education, I think healthcare, a lot of the stuff could be done online, but it's just not. Um, could, you know, I don't know about self-driving cars. They might be, I've heard some people claim, I don't know if this is true or not, that they're basically safe enough already. They just have to be much safer than human beings or otherwise we'll never, we'll never let them on the road. Um, you know, could it be just like humans will just be parasites? They'll organize and they'll protect their, you know, their, their vested interests and then nothing will ever, nothing good will ever happen. Is that, is that, uh, is that a worry of yours? I don't know. I mean, look, I think like regulation will slow things down. I mean, I don't know. I would, I would, let me put it this way. I would have a different attitude towards kind of like Uber regulation if Uber had a 10% chance of like literally destroying the world. Um, and I'd be like more okay. Basically, I'm like, yeah, look, I think we should like, you know, I definitely think there's like huge upsides. Um, I think it'll make people much better off. Um, but I'm like, look, if this, like, if we need like a couple of years here to like figure out the alignment thing, let's just like do the couple of years of the alignment thing. Yeah. But um, I'm, I'm, my, my question is sort of the opposite. Like, are we going to overshoot on the alignment thing and we're going to just not, not have the benefits of AI at all? 
I don't think we're going to overshoot on the alignment thing. I think we might like have all sorts of other dumb regulation. Like we'll be like, you know, I think you're already kind of seeing this right now, you know, the sort of current regulation push isn't necessarily translating into like they're working on the right thing. I mean, that's why in general, I think I'm like a little bit less enthusiastic, at least right now about these sort of pushes for pauses and, you know, government projects and things like that. I'm kind of like, look, I don't know, man, like maybe you don't like Sam Altman that much or whatever, but man, the guy's pretty smart, you know, and like Dario is pretty smart and Damas is pretty smart and they're like pretty, they're pretty on it. You know, like, I mean, these people are, if anything, are like the most alarmed about the AI extras thing. Um, and um, so I'm like, I think that's probably better than, you know, Kamala Harris. Um, I do think like, um, I don't know, I just, I also think before we kind of, yeah, so I think probably we'll have all sorts of like kludgy regulation and it'll be imperfect. Um, I think probably on the margin, like people still won't be like doing enough on the alignment thing. So like on the margin, I really think we should be like pushing on the alignment thing. And then like, yeah, I don't know, like maybe we'll delay AI a bit. I think it's like, I think the real down, I think the real worry there isn't kind of like, oh, we'll delay the big upside by a couple of years. I think the main thing that matters is like, where are we at in like 50 years or whatever? I think the worry there is more like, oh, maybe like there's bad actors with AIs, like, I don't know, just like China. And so I think that's mostly the constraint on kind of like your like regulation or whatever, which is like, look, China is a few years behind you. Uh, if this like explosive economic growth thing is right, like if China gets AGI first, I could just like totally beat you and like take over the world. And so, you know, you can't, you don't have sort of like infinite runway there. And so you have some sort of like limited budget of, um, of, of, you know, of sort of like, you know, a little bit of like lead to burn or whatever. And just like, yeah, use that really wisely. Don't just kind of like burn that on dumb stuff. Um, yeah. I, I mean, look, I just think the main thing before people kind of, I feel like with COVID, we kind of ended up getting, you know, I wrote a blog post about this, you know, uh, with COVID, we ended up getting into these like huge fights about, you know, lockdown or not. And everyone's like lockdown or not. And the schools or whatever. And it's like, just forget about the lockdown or not, just like make the vaccines. And that was like just the clear but solution that's, to the that's, COVID that's, thing. But yeah, but that's not clear to everyone. That is very controversial now. A lot of people hate the vaccine and they, they you know, so it's like, well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, right. I think you, yeah. Well, yeah. I think those people are wrong. You know, it's just like, look, make the vaccine. Just like Operation Warp Speed. That was clearly the way out. Just like Operation Warp Speed plus like, you know, a bit of masking in the, in the, mid, in the middle or whatever. And I'm just like, look, on the AI, let's, let's, like, let's do the Operation Warp Speed for AI alignment. You know, it's like, look, Demis, you're like really concerned about AI extras. Like put your like top ML researchers on this. You know, I just think there's like, we can just like much better things are possible here. And sort of before we get into like the endless online debates or the sort of, the sort of regulatory things, I'm just like, let's actually just like try to solve this problem. Um, yeah. yeah. One thing we talked about at the EV conference, the uh, Emerging Ventures conference um, is that, uh, yeah, I mean, there's no, there's no permanent pause on this, on this stuff, right? Like, do we have like, you know, it might as well happen now and it might as well happen here. And if we're all going to die, we're all going to die. But like, you know, if there is some like human threshold where we have, you know, it's, there's no, there's, I don't think there's an answer where we just, you know, become Luddites. We just, you know, cut off humanity from, from its future. Just say, we're going to, you know, question the stuff uh, forever. Or is there, did you, by the way, did you see the China? Uh, the, there was, there was, you talked about China a few times. There was news out of China that basically they're, they're really like taking a heavy hand to, uh, regulations. And my, 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 um, my sort of idea of sort of the, um, the Chinese government, um, and watching COVID is like this is they are very sort of risk averse. They don't like things that destabilize society. So it doesn't seem to me to be, to seem crazy that they would actually want to slow down AI research or just, you know, sort of, uh, quash it. And, you know, they're good at sort of, you know, they're good at quashing things that they don't, that they don't like. Um, so maybe. Yeah. I started this by yeah, saying I mean, there's no hope, but maybe there is a hope of just, just shutting this stuff down for a long time. 
No, I mean, I, I, I definitely not forever. I mean, it just the other thing is just there's extremely rapid just algorithmic progress, right? So it's sort of like GPT-3 maybe at some point cost like 10 plus million to, to train. And now you can sort of like just train it on your own for a few hundred thousand dollars. Um, and in general, sort of there's like, you know, roughly half an order of magnitude a year of algorithms becoming more efficient. And so people are like, oh, we'll regulate the compute clusters. I'm like, yes, that gives you a few years. And so I think all of all of your things are like, look, we have a few years of lead. Can we like use those few years of leads to do all our safety things? But then, you know, like if you wait long enough, it's just like it becomes really, like, you know, you get the algorithmic progress. It becomes much easier to train. You know, you get open source, you get China. Um, and um, look, maybe there's like extreme worlds that where that becomes necessary. I mean, I think and one thing in general is I think we're hopefully going to get just a lot more empirical evidence on the sort of alignment thing. So, you know, people are working on empirical test beds of deception. Like, is this AI system just like, does it deceive humans? And like people on Anthropic are working on that. And I think that'll be really useful. People working on these sort of like evaluations of, you know, basically like, will it make bioweapons? And will it try to like autonomously spread over the internet? Um, you know, basic reward hacking demos. And so I'm very much into like, look, I think we should like do these evals and we'll get empirical evidence on this and maybe it'll be fine or like, Oh shit, this thing will be really scary. And, um, anyway, so who in the, maybe, maybe there are worlds where it's really scary and everyone realizes it's immediately obvious and maybe we'll do other things then. But I think sort of by default, I would expect we have, we have a few years lead or whatever, you know, we have the export controls on China. Those are very important. They can't get the most leading edge chips and sort of all, all you know, all throughout the supply chain, we've cut them off. Mm, you can't shut them down forever. But, you know, we have a bit of time. Um, and like I said, it's like, I think this like alignment thing is totally real and we can just like totally screw it up. And like, if we screw it up, it's just like, yeah, totally the AIs could take over. Um, but um, it's also like, there's a lot of things we could do. And so I think there's this sort of, yeah, I think it's actually just quite tractable. Um, and I really want us to sort of do those alignment investments. Um, and I think people are really fatalistic, you know, oh, it's like, you know, like, no, no, there's just like tons of technical stuff we can do. There's, there's like all the smart people are now becoming interested. Um, there's like tons of money who is potentially interested in funding it. Like, let's do it. Let's make it happen. Yeah. Um, you know? <laughs> okay. I love, I love the message. I love the optimism. I love the idea that we don't have to be hopeless or we don't have to be blase. We can, you know, there's, there's, there's something we can do here. And I think you've done a good job of sort of inspiring people, you know, on that account. And I think you, you here will, will do that too. Um, the, uh, okay. Yeah, this was, this was great. Is there a, you know, what are you working on now, now Leopold? Like, are you doing more AI stuff? What sort of, what sort of uh, next steps for you? Yeah. Doing more AI stuff. Um, I think, um, you know, I've sort of spoken a bit about, uh, you know, I think we should have more ambitious conservative alignment efforts and, you know, hopefully we'll have more to share on that at some point. But yeah, that's what I think we should do. You know, I think we should do the Operation Warp Speed. Sounds good. All right, man. Good talking to you. Good talking. Good talking.